God for his power among us. Amen. Praise God. So because of this season that we are in, I'm doing just a preparatory word for Africa Rise Conference. And I want to share the whole vision behind it so that when Africa Rise comes, all of us will be engaged engaged which is the theme of the conference and uh, we will we'll understand we'll be able to host all of our guests and i believe that uh, god will give us a tremendous time amen praise the lord now um today i just want to share the heart of the church the vision that god has given us and just start to paint a picture for all of us over the next few weeks of uh, why we gather what god has spoken and what we're believing god for i usually try to do this every year about this time just to prepare us for africa arise but uh, also just to remind uh, everybody, there might be some new people who even came during the course of the year, just to remind uh, us of what God has spoken and the, the cause that brings us together, amen? Okay, so uh, praise God, it's vision month, vision season, Africa Arise. I anticipate Africa Arise, similar to the rest of the world, anticipates Christmas. It's the greatest time of the year. It's the happiest time in the, of the year. It is really, really like Christmas time for us. Um, you'll see what we mean when we get there. But I just want to go back a little bit and explain uh, the nature of the vision and how it came to pass. Um, every vision, it does not fall from the sky. It comes through the vehicle of a visionary. And uh, Abba is the one that first heard this word that God spoke to him that says, redeeming nations in righteousness. And when he heard that word, it was on the backdrop of exactly opposite of what God has said. And like we learned last week, if you were here, we talked about how when God speaks, it many times completely contradicts the situation on the ground. When Zechariah heard that you're going to have a son, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah was saying, how can this be? Because we've already tried this before and it didn't work. Plus now I am too old to have children. Everything you are saying, God, is not making sense to me. And God said, that's the problem right there. Let's shut his mouth because his mouth is working against my purposes. And you know sometimes that a vision is from God just by reason of the absurdity of it. How it just does not make sense. How it's impossible in the mind of God. And what God spoke to Abba is this word of redeeming nations in righteousness. And he moved to Ethiopia and started working. He did the opposite of what Zechariah did. Oh, God, you're going to redeem a nation? You're going to redeem nations? Sounds good to me. Let's go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me tell you. I was reading up on this. There was this great Chinese philosopher and military strategist named, named Sun Tzu. Our brother Sun Tzu lived a long, long, long time ago, even before the time of Christ. That's a long time ago. But he is known as being, he wrote this book called The Art of War. And he talked about different military, I mean, he was just brilliant and way ahead of his time. To this day, his thought affects military strategy around the world and affects policy in nations. But he said something that I found was very interesting. He said, victorious warriors, they always win first and then they go to battle. I like that. Well, as normal soldiers, they go to battle looking for an opportunity to win. And, and when you move on a word like that, it's because you already have got a victory 
first. There was a victory that was scored in the heart of Abba first. And so what visionary does is he sees first, he hears first, and through his leadership he causes everybody to see as he has seen. And the, the result of that is called prophetic movement. Moving not according to what the newspaper says, not according to what economy says, not according to what experience, but according to what thus says the Lord. Hallelujah. And God said, redeeming nations in righteousness. The impossible will become possible. Amen. Now, the, where this came from, uh, let me just give you some backstory. For 25 years, Abba worked with the International Bible Society. He was based in Kenya. And for 25 years, what he would do is he would work on Bible translation in the different languages of Africa because he personally is a man who, at, when he was younger, he was impacted by the power of the word. He had never read the Bible before, but he read the Bible for the first time, and the first time when he read the Bible, it reproduced a healing in his sick body. He was on his deathbed, and he was pronounced a hopeless case. And the word alone healed his body and raised him from deathbed. He had three months to live suffering with leukemia. He was very devout and very religious in the Orthodox, Ethiopian Orthodox tradition. But in the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition, particularly at that time, people were not encouraged to read scripture for themselves. So when he was desperate, he, he committed the great taboo of actually reading the Bible for himself. And when he read the Bible, it resulted in healing for him. No preacher, no evangelist, no tele-evangelist, no TV at that time. All right? But God healed him by the power of the word of God. So he developed a conviction that if people could read the Bible in their own language, the same thing that God did for him, he could also do for them. And Africa had thousands and thousands of languages and dialects. Most of them don't have a Bible in their own language. And he made that his life mission, to translate and publish and distribute the Bible in all the languages of Africa so that everybody, every sick boy, somewhere, somehow, would find the same experience with the word of God that he found. That was the whole vision, the whole mission. I get him? Yeah. So his work provided him an opportunity to really, from 1979 or 2004, 25 years. Is that 25 years? He crisscrossed the African continent back and forth multiple times, overseeing translation projects. And over that 25 years, he saw the Bible translated into multiple scriptures, multiple languages, and distributed far and wide, and we thank God for that. But traveling across Africa during that span of time was a challenge, because he also came face to face with the difficulties that the country of Africa faced. Yeah. Um, you know, we knew, you know, Abba, so that means when we were younger, uh, Abba was always gone. He was always traveling. Over half the year, he was on a plane somewhere, somewhere, somehow, going or coming. And uh, whenever Abba came home, uh, we knew if he had, what country he had been to, just by reason of the kind of things that he brought when he came home. If he brought candy or toys, that means he was in a good country, hallelujah. If he came empty-handed but with a story, we know where he was. <laughs> a story meaning you're not going to believe what happened. I, you know, like the Lord delivered me, praise report. That means that he was somewhere 
You, you understand. Uh, over the years, he began to, like he had offices in, in all across, Nigeria, Ghana, Kinshasa, Congo, Zaire at that time, uh, Harare, Zimbabwe, South Africa. He was actually, you know, during the time of apartheid, uh, black people in, in South Africa were not allowed to hold management positions by law. But Abba was the first black manager in apartheid South Africa. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it was a difficult time for the continent, but he had a, a, let me just put it this way, he had a very unique perspective on the challenges of the whole continent. Are you following what I'm saying? He resonated, he saw the injustice, the tribalism, the, the corruption, the poverty, it was all over, it was rife. So when God, out of that perspective, speaks redeeming nations in righteousness, it's a completely ridiculous idea. Not this nation, maybe a more developed nation. But when God speaks, he does not wait for the situation to get right. He speaks and waits for everything to line up with what thus says the Lord. And it takes a faith to move on that word in the midst of such chaos. It takes a Sun Tzu spirit of winning the battle first and then going to the battlefield. Hallelujah. So we thank God for that word. And so Abba had been moving in this word for many years. And we all knew about it. We were all blessed by it. And we saw that God was slowly starting to bring these ideas to pass. And to God be the glory for that. Uh, one, one day, and so now I want to just kind of tell you how I came into the picture. Because that's the best part of the story. Um, I was a youth pastor in the United States. And I was ministering there. And of course, I knew what Abba was doing this whole time, and it was all wonderful. And then one time in the, in the space of a few weeks, just two weeks, I began to hear a lot of people prophesying about Ethiopia. Now, this is nothing unusual, especially if you've grown up in Ethiopian church like I have. In fact, a service is not complete unless there is at least one prophecy about Ethiopia complete with Elilta Come on, somebody. All right? But the unique thing about this particular word is that it was not coming from Ethiopians. It was coming from Koreans. Koreans have no business prophesying about Ethiopia. It came from Americans. Americans should be prophesying about America, not Ethiopia. It came from Kenyans. People began to... And I heard this all in the space, and so it caused a little question mark to arise in my, in my mind. And I began to seek the Lord and say, what in the world is going on? Did you see that? I mean, we've heard this every Sunday since childhood. But we've never heard it coming from this angle. And the Lord began to show me something. I was praying one night, asking the Lord specifically about this. You know, God is close when he's serious. It's, it's close. And, and I remember while I was praying, he led me to two scriptures in Amos chapter 8 and Amos chapter 9. In those verses, Amos 8, 8 and Amos 9, 5, it talks about the churning and the rising and the falling of the Nile River in Egypt. And it's a, it's a, it's a passage of scripture that's actually describing the judgment and the punishment of God, but he's describing it by way of illustration using the Nile River as an example. That, that's significant because the Nile River, I had no idea it rose and fall and it churned. You know, but I found out then, and when I studied up on that a little bit, I found that the Nile River in Egypt 
It rises and falls and churns according to the rainfall on Ethiopia. So if there's a lot of rain, there's a big river, and then the river flows and it brings life to Egypt. Hallelujah. But there was something that I found very prophetically significant about this, all right? Because uh, as I looked into this, I found that, you know, rivers come from mountains. Rivers is the result of rain falling on the mountain. And a strong river is the result of a high mountain. A high mountain produces long rivers, and the longest river in the world is the Nile River, which means the mountain from which it comes is very high. And the mountain happens to be in Ethiopia. <laughs> to be fair, okay, a large majority of the rainfall that falls on Ethiopia ends up in Egypt. But the other large portion, or the remaining portion, it also comes from Lake Victoria, which also borders, you know, Uganda, Kenya, I think Congo, Rwanda, and the tributaries they run throughout forever, all throughout Africa. And the, the borders of Ethiopia, all right, they are not the borders that we know today, traditionally, because the borders of Africa are only 100 years old. Today's Africa. When, when these words were written and when, even when God was writing about, you know, in the book of Genesis, Moses was writing about the Nile River in Ethiopia that runs throughout the land of Ethiopia. It was not according to these borders. Those borders did not exist in the Garden of Eden, come on somebody. Which means that there's something unique about this region that God has reserved for his purposes. And God began to show these things to me, and I began to look at that, and I began to ask the Lord how this could be, and he showed me that everything natural, okay, has a spiritual connotation, that high mountains represents unity of the spirit, Psalm 133. It says, how good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands his blessing. It says it's like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. A high place when brothers dwell together in unity. Praise the Lord. And that high place will cause a river to flow and give life to everything. The mountain of Mount Hermon is the largest, tallest mountain in Israel. And the dew that collects on it becomes the source of life for the whole nation. It becomes the Jordan River where Jesus took a trip to one day. And he was baptized in the river Jordan that started up on the mountain. So whenever you see mountains, God always starts something glorious on the mountains, provided that there is unity. All right, river or, or the, 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 the rain that falls on the mountain, it doesn't re only represent rain, it also represents blessing. Because blessing is never given out, blessing is always poured out. It represents spirit. Spirit is not handed out. Spirit is poured out from on high. Hallelujah. So something unique about the mountain area has to get it right with this thing of the fellowship and the unity and the rain to produce a river that goes to, to, to Egypt. Egypt does not only represent Egypt, it represents the world. Yes, because the children of Israel were redeemed out of Egypt and into their promised land. It represents the journey. Hebrews correlates that journey to the journey of salvation for you and me. How we came out of one kingdom and into another. Thus setting us on a course to be a blessing to the nations of the world. 
So God showed me that, you know when God speaks to you, he doesn't give you the whole picture, just a little bit, and then you get this Sanzu spirit. And Ethiopia is, is, is just another people who have been saved by God. We are all equally saved, all right? We are all equally saved. We are all equally children of God. The same blood redeemed us all that makes everybody who calls on his name family. All right? But God has a bad habit. Where is a good habit? God has a good habit. A wonderful, brilliant habit. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, beginning in verse 26. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many are powerful. Not many are of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. And God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so that he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something. This is God's habit. This is God's method of operation. From the beginning of time all the way, he does not want people to rely on their own understanding. So he finds and intentionally locates the foolish things the nothing things, the things which are viewed as nothing, so that he can take the things which are viewed as something and bring them to nothing. Next verse, please. So that no one can boast in his presence. Next verse. But from him you are in Christ, uh, uh, Jesus, for whom, for, for us, who for us became wisdom from God as well as righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. So we are all children of God, but God is after causing people of all nations, of all nationalities, of all colors to put their boast in him. And the way he does that is he goes to the things which are nothing, which are viewed as nothing, and he caused them to become something, so that the things that are viewed to be as something, they will be regarded as nothing, so that both the nothings and the somethings would put their boast in God. God has done this from the very beginning. You see, Joseph was chosen out of all the 12 brothers, but of all the 12 brothers, Joseph was not the something, Joseph was the international nothing. He was despised by his brothers because of his dreams. He's not the one you sign up for your team. But God chose the nothing and he became the vehicle of salvation for everybody. He became the something so that no one would... <sighs> Hallelujah. When, when, when God called the first king of Israel... He called Saul and Saul said these words, why are you choosing me? I am from the least of all the tribes and my clan is the weakest of all the weakness of the clans. Yeah. And God says, I know you are nothing. That's the whole point. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's fighting with God the whole way through his calling. How can you call me? I am the weakest of all tribes and my family is the most insignificant nothing of all the nothings. Choose the somethings. And God says, no, I don't choose somethings. I never choose the somethings. I always start with the nothings. 
and make them somethings so that the somethings become the nothings and all boast in the Lord. Hmm? David was the youngest of all his brothers and he was also the most despised of all his brothers. That's the nothing I choose. Hallelujah. When Jesus came into the earth, he was born in a nothing. He was from a nothing. But he became a something so that all people would put their trust in him. It was said of Jesus, can anything good come from Nazareth? They were shocked that anything good can come from Nazareth. Why? Because Nazareth is a glorious nothing. See, we don't have the perspective of Nazareth in, in, from now 2,000 years removed. He is forever known from beginning of time or from the beginning of his upbringing up to forever as Jesus of, not Jesus of Rome, which was the most fly city in that time. Everybody wanted to come from, remember how Paul was boasting in his Roman citizenship? Rome was something, brother. But Nazareth, that's my, Jesus of nothing. So that all would put their boast in him. Amen. Hallelujah. The cross was both a nothing and a something. So that all could put their boast in him. Hallelujah. It's just how God operates. It's how God prefers to introduce things in the world. And, and you know, it, it says specifically, it says so that those who are viewed as nothing. So that those who are viewed as Meaning that when those with eyes and make views see, they see and call that thing a nothing. And you know, the most nothing of all the somethings in the world in this time, it's no longer Nazareth because the time has moved. It's no longer David because now we're not living there anymore. It's no longer uh, uh, Saul or Gideon or Joseph. The nothing of today, the Nazareth of today is Africa. Uh, uh, Africa has been a, a headache because of our difficult history. Ethiopia has forever been branded as a poverty-stricken nation. Did you know that? Okay, of course you know that. We live here. The famine of Ethiopia in the 80s, it, it passed. It's no longer here anymore. But forever around the world, Ethiopia and that famine will always go hand in hand. Uh, I said this in the earlier service. Uh, many of the people, particularly in earlier service, they grew up here and most of their life has been spent here. Someone like me, I spend most of my life outside, so I have a different view, maybe, than the people who grew up here. The people's view from outside, what people view as nothing is, or as poverty-stricken, because of that famine and the, 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 the war and the communism and all the, the, the horrendous things that happened, people have a view of this place that is always associated with nothing. I myself, forgive me now, I love everybody, I love Ethiopia, but even in my own mind. You see, uh, we grew up in Kenya. When I grew up in Kenya, every now and then my parents would would bring us here to Ethiopia when we were kids just to, you know, see where we came from, meet relatives, and somehow, you know, have a little bit of, you know, uh, appreciation and love for Ethiopia. And it actually had the exact opposite effect. <laughs> because the Derg was in charge during that time. 
because the communist government was in charge at that time. Plus, I remember specifically when I came, when we got off the plane, our relatives told us, why did you bring him? I said, who? You, why me? Because at that time, they would pick young men off the streets and enlist them in the army. And so we remember even hiding in the cars, driving around, come to visit my own country. Ought to get me out of here? Yeah, I'm like, I'm living in a movie. I've seen this in the movie, not in real life. And I remember specifically when we were leaving the country and then we had to go through the Bole airport. I remember how petrified I was because I was sure that they would like grab me right there. I was like shaking at the line, you know, when you go to, to get your passports. I thought, this is it. You know, Becca, this is the end. I was trying to think of my last famous words to tell the people. Just, Becca, you, can't, you can escape in the car. You can't escape here. There's police everywhere. There's soldiers everywhere. And we got out somehow, miraculously, for the glory of God. And when we got back to Kenya, I kissed the ground. So this, like, I, when I, and when I began, you know, to get serious with my calling and pursue the things of God, I remember telling the Lord specifically, I will do anything for you, hallelujah. I will go anywhere you want me to go. Anywhere except one place. <laughs> and isn't it funny that God will end you up in the one place? I mean, there's a lot of countries in the world, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but when we came, we came with this picture of this blessing and this redeeming nations in righteousness. I realized that Abba was right and that, and that there's something that God is about to introduce that will be blessing for everyone, everywhere by reason of the significant nothingness. Ooh, hallelujah. That God will cause a blessing to come that could be for everybody, everywhere, that hands of begging turn into hands of blessing. The book of Ezekiel, it's an interesting book, and I think if I could choose one book of the Bible to kind of condense the vision, it would be the book of Ezekiel. Not the verse, but the book, the theme of the book. Ezekiel 1.1, Ezekiel begins the story, and he says, I was with the exiles in Babylon by the Kebar River. With the exiles, meaning he was with the people who were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. He was there in Babylon, by the Kebar River. The river means that it's the mountain somewhere, okay, that's not their own mountain, but they are now relying on the mountain of another to drink their water and to get their sustenance. And it says, from there, God begins to visit him in dreams and visions. And for the next 40 chapters, God describes to him the reason why Israel has been sold into captivity. And basically, the summation of that whole 40 chapter, to condense that idea, it says that God, that the people have been unfaithful to God. They have desecrated the temple. And God has now punished them because of their lack of devotion to God. They turned away to the worship of idols. But in chapter 40, God begins his redemption process for the children of Israel. And he takes Ezekiel in a vision to a high, uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 40 verse 2. Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 2. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high I want you, whenever you read mountains in the Bible, to read it through prophetic eyes now. Yes. Don't just, you know, Jesus loved mountains. He went on to mountains to pray. He never even went to the valley to pray. When he wanted to get serious, it started in the mountain. Yes. 
When God wants to restore the nation, he started on the mountain. When it's serious to God, it begins on the mountain. Praise the Lord. From this verse, we don't have time to get into all of it, but God begins his restoration work. And what he does is he builds a temple on the mountain. In verse 43, in chapter 43, it says that a glory, a cloud of glory descends on the mountain of the temple. And then in verse, in chapter 47, it says that a river flows out of the temple. Whew, hallelujah. So, so the river is a result of the glory that falls on the temple. The temple is a result of the mountain and the glory falls, the river flows, and the Bible says the river goes throughout the whole land, and everything the river touches lives. The river flows into the salty places and makes the salt waters fresh. Whew, hallelujah. Healing is the result of the river. Justice and righteousness is a result of the river. Victory is a result of the river, but it all starts on the mountain. The rain falling on the mountain will produce a river in the valley. Now, physically, we are now standing on the mountain. But spiritually, that means that if we are really on this mountain to take the whole breadth of the idea spiritually, we have to be a temple of God, meaning we have to have love for one another. We have to be joined one to, uh, one to another. That's how the temple is formed because Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil flowing down on Aaron's beard from his head upon the collar of his priestly robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. When the brothers dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. Blessings are not given. Blessings are poured. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So if we are on the mountain physically but not on the mountain spiritually, there is a problem. The mountain spiritually is love for one another. Love is the highest spiritual order. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. Love is, uh, how am I doing this all right? So the more love, the higher we are. The more fellowship, the higher the mountain is. The higher the mountain is, the stronger the river is felt in the valley. Praise the Lord. So the thing that God helped us to do is, you know, when we started Beza, uh, I think it was even before we had a name. God challenged us, particularly our leadership, because we had been in ministry for a long time. And we realized something that God spoke to us. He said we had made a mistake in building ministry up to that point. And this is what I mean when I said we were making a mistake. Um, God said that we were prioritizing the things of ministry over the things of relationship. That's the big shift that God gave us. We used to think that if ministry was going well, that relationship would also somehow automatically go well. But it's not necessarily the case. Relationship has to go first. You don't use the cart to pull the horse. The cart cannot pull the horse. The horse has to pull the cart. It is the power of the horse that pulls the cart. Relationship has to go first because it has the power to pull the ministry. And that's the big shift God gave to us. I was talking with my friend the other day, and he was saying, you know, it's great what you're doing at Basel. It's so nice. I said, thank you. It's a cute little church. Yes, cute little church. I saw you working with your parents. Yeah, you're working with my parents. Working with Sally. Yeah, yeah, we're working together. He said, 
can I ask you a question? I said, ask me a question, anything. He said, you know, isn't it hard sometimes, you know, working with your own parents and, you know, come on, I mean, everybody has parents. I, I don't know, just, just, I mean, it must be hard sometimes, I don't know. And I told him, yeah, you know, sometimes we don't always, you know, agree with everything. But what we've done is we have made a priority in our ministry of relationship. Our goal is relational. It is not ministerial, or it's not project, or it's not outreach, or it's not, our goal primarily is relationship. So what happens many times is we have a goal where we want to get there, and that's our goal. And on the way to our goal, we disagree, and that's where relationship falls apart for the sake of the goal. But what we did, I told him, is that we put relationship itself as the goal, so that while we're on our way to our goal, if there's a problem in the vision, we'll let the vision or the ministry or the outreach or the whatever, we'll let it drop to the side so that we can attain our, you see what I'm saying? If relationship is the goal, all right, then it's very difficult to have a, rela uh, a relational problem because that's what you are working on more than anything else. And that's the, that's the purpose. Actually, relationship is the reason why God saved you. He, he, Jesus' final prayer, John 17, Lord, make them one, even as we are one. So the kingdom of God comes to earth by way of oneness that reflects his oneness with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So this was the great mystery, the secret recipe that God gave us. And I think it's the one thing that has worked for us because we did an experiment. We said, let us try this thing of relationship and see how high up it will take us and see how far the river will flow as a result. Experiment. But now, after a few years of working on this, I think that it is working, because we're still here, despite our different personalities. And, but there's different, and each one of us have you know, our own gift and our own way of doing things. Independently, we could probably start our own ministry, each of us, and have four different ministries, Pastor Z International Ministries, which everybody will come to. Yes, yes, yes. And, and many times, we grew up, grew up in a lot of church drama, church pain, Division, split, nom, nom, and then trying to navigate that and trying not to be, it's very, like, uh, makes you nervous. And, and we've been through a whole lifetime of that, and we decided, let's just leave this thing of ministry, and let's just see what happens if we can work on the most important things as an experiment. And after 10 years of Beza, I can say with confidence that this experiment is actually doing something. Because God said, if you work on your relationship, watch what I can do with the ministry. So even each one of you here today is a testament not to good preaching. I was preaching even better before. It's a testament to relationship, making room for one another, eh? having love for one another, eh? overlooking offense, forgiving one another, and realizing one of the great mysteries, realizing that many times the offense that you see in others is actually a reflection of something incomplete in your own heart. So God helped us to do this, and we have not been put to shame. Praise the Lord. See, there's already enough anointing in Ethiopia. I don't know if you've noticed, but you won't find a stronger anointing, stronger miracles, a worship in Ethiopia than anywhere else in the world, and I've seen anywhere else in the world. God has just put a, a special uh, oil for some reason on, 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 on this nation. So when we come to start a church, we're not getting into the anointing business well, we are, don't get me wrong, we are in the anointing business, but there's, there's already enough anointing. We're not here to introduce what's already here. 
We're here to introduce something that's not here. Praise the Lord. And we found that relationship is the golden key that will be the foundation on which this vision is built. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And it's amazing what God has done through relationship. Uh, I'm not saying that we have perfected relationship, but it is the goal that we have set before us. Hallelujah. There was a story of a young man one day, he came to Ethiopia from overseas. His mother wanted him to see Ethiopia. And they, she took him to church and he went to the churches and he just saw the anointing and the worship. The, the roof almost exploded because it just, you know, it's not a problem for us. Actually, much of Africa, praise and worship is not a problem. Best mom, we went to Congo early in the year. Oh my goodness. But this worship, it was so powerful. The young man was blessed. Then he walked outside and he saw the mess and the poverty. And he began to ask his mother, saying, if we are so close to God like this, then why is it that the situation remains so dysfunctional? How can this not translate into something over here? And you know, the thing is, is that the Lord does not command his blessing on the singing. The singing is anointed, but he does not command the blessing. The command, he does not command the blessing on the anointing. The Bible says, when the brothers dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. And we have this strange combination of anointing and no unity. But God is healing that now. Hallelujah. And blessing comes when brothers dwell together in unity. Where two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. So, so this is, I think, our, our gift to the nation. Let's have fellowship and let's right, take it up higher. Start with the place and the people that offend you the most. Hallelujah. Start with the damage that has been done to you by your brother and engage in ministry of reconciliation. There's great blessing in there. And you know it's funny because this is an unseen ministry. It has to deal with attitude. Abba always says we're not called to ministry. We are called to an attitude. And so this is the thing that has been a blessing for us. And you know it's funny is that we're not there yet, but there has been amazing progress since we started. We've seen the hand of God in this nation. Amen. We've seen, a, we've seen a, a, a blessing on many, many, many different levels. When we started, actually Atuye told me this story the other day. It blessed me so much. Um, about 15 years ago, Atuye was here in Ethiopia and she was visiting. At that time, there was a lot of drought infected areas. And she was traveling around visiting all the affected areas and affected people. And when she was visiting, it was just so bad and the people were so hungry and they were so poor that she began to weep and she began to cry out to the Lord. And she would ask the Lord, when will you do something? How can you see this and remain quiet? And the Lord spoke to her right there. And the Lord spoke to her and said, I will visit this land. And you, not your children or your children's children, but you yourself, will see it with your own eyes. And immediately, immediately her tears stopped. And since that time, she has not wept like that over the nation again. But also since that time, slowly, slowly, 
We are seeing, when we came 10 years ago to start this church, I did a very careful study. Ethiopia was ranked as the fourth poorest nation in the world. Uh, today, as of the latest uh, World Economic Forum report, leading the world in economic growth for the next three years estimate, they have ranked Ethiopia as number one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Not to the exclusion of other nations. I have to be careful with a lot of it. But for the glory of God, look at that nothing to something jump. Now, of course, there's still challenges. All right. Of course, we still have a long way to go. All right. And we're not out of the woods yet. But I believe we've seen enough. I mean, to think that we were declaring these things over nothing. Okay, but now slowly there's a little bit of something it motiv should motivate us to stand on the word of God even more and declare the faithfulness of God even more and declare what God said even more that the hands of be begging turn into hands of blessing. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm just going to say one thing then we're going to pray. Is that all right? The next few weeks we're just going to be going over the vision. Uh, if you are here from whatever country, wherever, you have joined an army of nothings that God is busy working to try to create into a something for His glory. Welcome. Imagine how foolish. I have no business being here. We have no business being here doing this if God did not speak such a crazy word. Hallelujah. But Sunzu, hallelujah, Sunzu. You win the battle first, and then you go to the battlefield. And we have come a long way, and for the battles that still remain, for the corruption that still remains, for the poverty that still remains, we win first, hallelujah. We declare first, hallelujah, that the nothings will find some meaning, and the nothings will be a blessing to everybody. Hallelujah, that the hands of begging turn into hands of blessing. Again, let me emphasize, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. The black, the white, the yellow, the brown, everybody. But his operation, method of operation, always begins with nothing. In the time of King Saul, Jesus, God loved everybody. But for his own glory, he picked Saul out of everybody. Amen? No one is better than anybody. But God is on a mission to have everybody boast in the goodness and the glory of God. Amen. I would like us just to stretch our hands. Hallelujah. And just to begin to declare the prophetic word of God. Hallelujah. The blessing of God. The reign of heaven. Hallelujah. That God would pour out. Hallelujah. A glory. Hallelujah. That the world has not seen before. That in these last days, that his method of operation will cause every knee to bow. Hallelujah. There are nations today that have adopted a principle that says God is not alive. And the only thing that causes people to recognize the goodness of God is that when God takes the nothing, takes the least, hallelujah, and raises them up to prophesy and prove to the world that God is alive and well. Hallelujah. We declare the blessing of God today. We declare the healing virtue of God. We declare, Father God, in the name of Jesus, that this time,
time will be a time where the rivers and the mountains come together, where the rain and the glory falls, where the love of God is demonstrated, hallelujah, where the mercy of God is demonstrated, where those that are wayward in spirit would gain understanding, Father God, that those who are far away and those who even say that there is no God would look and say, this is God, hallelujah. I thank you, Father God, you are doing it even now. I thank you, Father God, you are raising up love in our hearts now. You are stretching us wide to have a capacity, Father God, to bless, to increase, Father God, in all things. We give you praise and glory now. We see the blessing now. We see the river now. We see the healing of the nations now. We see all men bowing to your name. We see all men boasting in the Lord, not in their achievements, not in their accomplishments, not in their name, Father God, but that all men would boast in the Lord. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this fellowship, Father God. And I pray, Father God, hallelujah, as we confess every Sunday, hallelujah, that from this place a light would shine. Hallelujah. That from this place a light would shine to let the whole world know that there is a God. Hallelujah. And mighty is his name. Hallelujah. Glorious is your name, Father God. We bless you, Father God. This is the season of Africa Arise. Pour out your oil, Father God. Pour out your rain, Father God. Pour out your victory, Father God. Let your glory fall like a mighty cloud. And let the river of life, the river of life, hallelujah, bring healing to the nations, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for doing it. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name.